Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Work Hard to Tire LA podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joseph Hadaway. And today I am sitting down with Matt Rayner. Matt is a financial professional with extensive experience working as a financial manager and in fintech. He is also the host of the Bridging the Gap podcast and hosts a large community of advisors titled The Inner Circle. So how are you today, Matt? I'm doing good. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Thank you for coming on the show. So I gave you a little uh, brief bio there. What else can you tell us about yourself and your work? Yeah, no, you did a uh, a great job. Made me sound a lot more um, you know knowledgeable than maybe I really am. But uh, you know, my background's in wealth management. I, I was born and raised in this industry. I started off as a uh, financial advisor within a, just a registered investment advisory firm. Uh, helped to start another advisory firm as well that was more focused on what we call the Henrys. Uh, which is the high earners, not rich yet. They will be, but they're uh, they're in their early stages of, of building wealth. Uh, and then about eight years ago, I, I entered the wealth tech foray with starting my own technology company. Um, and that's really evolved into being a technology company that now we use to serve other wealth managers. So my whole knowledge base and experience is in wealth management, helping families reach their financial goals, helping families start on the path to reaching their financial goals, and then helping financial advisors to um, better help their clients reach their financial goals using and better leveraging their technology to create uh, automation, efficiencies, and scalability. So uh, I can say I love this industry. Uh, it's all I know. Always good to hear you know, someone who does what uh, they're passionate about. And you know, moving into something you kind of touched on a little bit, um, on the industry side of things, you, know, you mentioned helping out advisors, wealth managers, and starting your own technology firm. You know, so what hole did or do you see in the industry that made you break into the SAAS market? Yeah, I think that this industry is one that is, um, it's a relationship industry, right? I mean, it, that is where, that's how people, you know, find value in what we deliver as wealth managers or financial advisors is the relationship that you have, right? It's not necessarily the the investment acumen, right? That is a that's a that's a needed aspect of it, but it's all driven by relationship. And we are also an industry that we are risk averse, right? We are building portfolios. That's what we that's our foundation is investment management. That's not necessarily all of our value, but that's our foundation that we build investment portfolios to limit the downside. We are we are risk averse in, inherently um, and we don't like change, right? We are an industry that uncertainty causes volatility, whether it's uncertainty in the investment markets and the economy or it's uncertainty in someone's life and the impact that that has on their financial plan. We do not like uncertainty. And so if it ain't broke, why fix it? Let's keep the status quo and keep going. Um, and I, I think that there's a, there's a multitude of things happening within our industry that are, are causing changes, which is uncomfortable. And I wanted to be a voice and an opportunity to help um, these, these advisors navigate those changes in a way that they that is understood because I sat there. Uh, some of those changes being, right, you have the robo-advisors that started back in 0809 they're commoditizing investment management, right? They started the commoditization um, revolution of investment management pre 0809, pre the, you know, the, the, the great recession investment management was what you sold on. You sold on being independent and you sold on an investment management. 
the robo advisors came along and there's a lot of pushback against it, but it just kind of was this natural thing that continued on that has now commoditized investment management because trading is free access to investments is, is, is more robust and more accessible than ever before. And so you have that, but then now you also have this new trend coming into the marketplace with a lot of mergers and acquisition and M and a, and a lot of private equity money getting into this space. And what that means is that there is a drive for operational excellence inside of our industry. And firms have to find a way to differentiate themselves beyond investment management, which means that they have to be excellent operationally because ultimately they need to highlight what their value prop is, which is themselves. And um, we have regulation and compliance that causes us to do a lot of things continuously, rightfully so. But we have to figure out how to get more time to spend with our clients, because if we do that, that's when we're going to win more. And that's when we're going to deliver more value. Um, and so there's a lot of underlines that I saw and believed in that there's opportunities for us to be better in this industry. And that's why we started um, Benjamin as our technology company. Always good, you know, fill the hole definitely makes things a little easier. And I mean, just out of curiosity, what, what exactly for our listeners does Benjamin do and how does it fix this issue? Yeah, so Benjamin is what we call a, uh, a business support system. Um, let me give some other re- terminology. That's a, that's a term that's really known within the telecom industry, not necessarily the wealth management industry, because there are no technology solutions in the wealth management industry that do it, but it's very prevalent in the telecom industry. Um, simply put, we are a workflow automation engine, right? We store and organize and execute on workflows and tasks for financial advisors. And we do that by acting as the connective tissue between all of their technologies and processes. So think of it as the operating system, iOS on your iPhone. You have a ton of different technologies that are part of it because those are apps. Uh, The operating system lives in the background and helps everything work seamlessly together, right? So that you can use your AirPods, which is connected to your iPhone on your app um, that's on your phone. Um, And so that's what we do is that we take all of their processes. And if there's 15 steps in a process that's being done today, we look to use our engine to, to eliminate you know, anywhere between seven to 10 of those processes so that they get more time across their team. Um, and the last example I always like to use, right? Because it's just visually, right? It's about what are we doing visually? Um, think back to the days of bill, prior to bill pay, right? When we had to write checks to pay bills, it was a very simple process. You wrote a check, you addressed the envelope, you stamped it, you put it in the mailbox, it was off and running. It didn't take that much time. We knew what we were doing. Then bill pay came in and um, bill pay offered the opportunity for you to automate bills. Um, but there's a lot of people that says, well, it doesn't take me any time. Why am I going to go spend 10 minutes setting up bill pay and having to do that for all my bills? That seems just crazy when it only takes me a minute or two to, to write the bills. But there's a lot of early adopters that did that. Um, and what we've done is we've created the bill pay engine for wealth managers, but instead of bills, we are focused on tasks. And so there's a lot of firms out there that are still like, well, this task doesn't take me that long. Why would I go train an engine to do it if I can just do it very quickly? And those are the uh, the late adopters. And then you have the early adopters that say, let me go train it because I can know I can fill that time with more value added services to my clients. And they're the ones that have adopted Benjamin and they're training them to do uh, the, the auto pay, I guess to say for tasks and workflows. Yeah, definitely all goes back to that automation. And I mean, I think we've all seen that the financial industry definitely has some antiquated tasks and things that they just seem very reluctant to let go of. 
Well, you have to remember why they're reluctant to let go, right? It's not, it's, it's not their fault, right? It's an industry-wide personality and it's not an individual personality fault, a flaw in that sense. It is very hard to get new clients in this business and keeping clients is of the utmost you know, focus for firms. So when you think about automation, you get worried that, well, what is it going to say to my client? Are they, it's going to be the same view as what I say? And the perception automatically goes to the client. What does it mean for them? And that's the right view, but the view goes to where it's wrong is that, what does it mean? Is it going to hurt my client? Is it going to hurt my relationship with my client? Is it going to make it feel less white glove service with my client? And I think that that's where the, 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 the mind tends to go because we are so risk averse. But in reality, what firms that are using automation are finding is that not only do clients accept it, when you share with them why you're doing it and what the value means to them, not only are they accepting it, but they're, they're embracing it and want more of it. And firms have to realize that automation doesn't mean that you have to communicate externally with clients. Automation could just mean that you're much more efficient internally to where your team of 10 people could continue to service 50 or 100 more clients without ever losing that white glove service. And so when you think about automation, it's a fear of what, how is it going to hurt the relationship? And firms and individuals within wealth management organizations need to start thinking of how is automation going to be able to enhance my relationship? And remember that our value add is us as a person. And if we can find more of doing more time to do more of what we're great at and less of what we uh, is repetitive and where computers are really good, then you're going to actually see that your clients are going to be happier and you're going to be able to serve more of them. And you're likely going to get higher referral rates because your clients are going to say, well, my advisor is so much more on top of things than they ever were before. I really like a lot about you're saying about, you know, value add and time management. Um, had a business coach on the show last week and he was saying the exact same stuff and you're just framing it in the terms of wealth management, financial industry. So that's, I think that's a really cool parallel there. And, and you have to think about, you know, this is a psychology uh, uh, profession, whether people want to put psychologists on their business card or not. The, the facts are that you are a psychologist when you come into this business, managing money and managing wealth is a form of managing emotions managing feelings and managing upbringing, right? How, where they came from. And so as much as we want to say that we are investment specialists, the best wealth managers are psychologists first and investment specialists second and managing emotions, managing expectations is what it's all about. And that's what we have to think about when we're, when we're building that. And I'm telling, I'm, I, I firmly believe it the best firms of the future are going to be ones that embrace that and they flip the equation to being investment first and then psychology second, they flip it to being psychology first and investment second. And, um, and the more that we can automate to get more of the psychology front of it is going to make those firms more scalable. And I definitely have heard that in the uh, finance, personal financial world quite a bit. I think it's the uh, Dave Ramsey quote, personal finance is 90% mental, 10% what you actually do. Yeah. It, you know, it, 
And I think it's a good lesson for all, you know, younger investors, older investors. I think for, you know, the end consumer, it's something to be really understanding of because when you go in to make a decision on who to use as a financial advisor, you don't rate them and judge them by their returns. Uh, You think about the value stack pyramid, right? There's a fulfillment value stack pyramid where the base of the pyramid is all about investment management. The top of it's about fulfillment. In between, you have organization and um, and sleep well at night, right? Like how at peace you are in that relationship. And so, when you think about going in and and and, and analyzing an, an advisor, it's not about what they did on the investment returns because that's just the base. Just can can they invest? Do they know what the markets are, and do they have the do they have the right people on their team that that can analyze an economy? How they've done in the past, it doesn't matter, right? What matters is how they make you feel. Do you feel confident in them? Do you feel comfortable opening up to them? Do you trust them? And if you do, then just like you would take a risk with a friend, that's what should drive you to taking a risk with an advisor. Do you believe in their philosophy, not their investment philosophy, but just their general philosophy of what their mission is as a firm? What is their why? It goes back to Simon Sinek and start with why and everything of that nature. You know, Dell is Dell and Apple. He does a comparison between them. Dell is a computer company. Apple is a company that's changing the world that happens to sell computers, right? It's a way that they frame who they are. Dell leads with selling computers. Apple leads with changing the world. And we happen to sell computers. The investment advisor that sell with them being a great investment manager is different than the firm that says, I want to help you become happy in retirement. Oh, and by the way, we do that by helping with your investments and we do that with X, Y, and Z. It's a different mentality, but the firms that lead with a Y are the firms that are going to get that that I think are going to excel in the future. Oh, yeah. Wholly agree. And even just talking here, you know, when you talk about the Y statements, it, it sounds better because apps out there, Robinhood, M1, you know, like you said, the robo-advisors, your Betterment, your Acorns, anyone can invest now. But if you're looking for help, you're looking for that, like I said, the psychology and it's all about keeping you at ease on top of doing good with your money. Yeah. It, it's, you got to believe you've got to be aligned with the mission. And you know what? There's a reason why Microsoft is really success, successful. There's a reason why Dell is very successful um, because, you know, it, Apple's not for everybody. Not everybody wants to be a part of that mission of, of changing the world and innovating um, people. Some people just want a dang computer. Just give me a computer. That's all I care about. I'm going to go to Dell and get me a computer. And that's okay. And that's the same thing with investment advisors. Not everybody's going to align with your mission. That's okay. But there, you know what? If you stay true to it and you buy into it and you double down on that, you're going to get more growth than you've ever thought of. And um, you know, in order for you to be good at that, you need time to think. You need time to talk with people. And you need that from every person within your organization. Every single person. Advisor at the front forward, the operations in the back. You need it from every side of the business. Um, and that's why I believe um, that you need automate so that they can all deliver that message in their own unique way. Definitely hear you on that. And uh, moving outside of um, moving outside of the uh, business focus on it onto like more of the client side, what should you know like someone be looking for when picking a financial advisor? How do you know it's a good one or is it a try and see? 
Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's all, like I said, it's, it's about how you feel with that person, right? Do you trust them? First off, are they a fiduciary? Do they have your best interest in mind? Not just what's, what's suitable for you, right? There's a suitability versus a fiduciary difference. Suitability means that this investment is suitable for you. It, it, it make it, it will based on your age, your risk tolerance, everything. It's suitable for you. Fiduciary means that it's in your best interest, right? So life insurance is suitable for someone that's 24 years old, right? Their age, they need life insurance. You know, they could they could die. Like life insurance makes sense. It's suitable, but a 24 year old that has no 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 marriage they're not married they have no house they're renting they have no debt right it's not even it doesn't even really matter on their side even if they do have debt it doesn't matter it may not be the fiduciary best use of money for them to buy life insurance because what is that life insurance for who does it go to nobody right they have no they don't have a family yet they don't have a significant other and they don't have major debt that they have to help support for someone else. That's the difference between suitability and fiduciary. And so you have to make sure that first off, they're a fiduciary because that's the best interest for you. But then it gets into, do you trust them? Could you see yourself being a friend with them? Because ultimately, you don't have to be best friends with them. You don't have to go to the ball game with them or go out drinking with them. But you're opening yourself up and exposing yourself and you have to feel comfortable doing that. And if you don't feel comfortable and you want to hold things back, it's probably not the right person because you don't trust them and they're not going to be able to do the best job for you. And I've always said my clients that I, that I meet with, you know, I've told them all about my family. They know when I have a kid, they know the good and the bad. They know the struggles I'm going through with my kids and raising them. And I share that with them because I'm vulnerable with them because I want, I know that how big trust is. And if they make it, a, if I make it a one side conversation where I'm only knowing about them and I'm not willing to share about me, that relationship doesn't work when times get tough, which they always do, whether it's in the markets or it's in, the, in your client's personal situation. So as an end client, do you trust them? Do you believe in them? Do you believe in their philosophy? Do you feel comfortable opening up to them? Would you call them in a time of panic, not just economically, but in life? And if you say yes, then they're the right person to take a risk on. If you say no, then it's not the right person. And all great things to hear and definitely great things to look for. And kind of in the same vein, I, you mostly answered this question. I'm just curious if you have any you know, other unique thoughts on it. A lot of the people I talk to on here, just even in my day-to-day -day life for younger financial industry professionals, professionals getting out of college, coming soon out of college, starting their CFP, starting their CFA. What should they be doing to make themselves more marketable to clients and make sure they're providing the best service? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, as they're going through, the, as, as being a young advisor is um, all about getting experience, right? You know, the, the challenge that, that we have when we're young in an industry is we come from an, a system, which is school, which is great. That tells us exactly what we need to do, when we need to do it, and what we need to know in order to do it successfully, right? And that's a challenge when you then get into the real world and it's like, well, now you got to go figure it out on your own. There's no, there's no syllabus at the beginning of the year that says, here's what we're going to do and here's when your test is and this is what we're going to review. And by the way, here's your test. Just study these 10 questions, right? That's just not the nature of it. And so what I always say is go and get as much experience. And what I mean by experience is 
There is no book of learning people's emotions. Go study psychology, right? But then go sit in on meetings and see how people interact. And don't listen necessarily for the investment side. Focus on how people react, how people are emotionally connected or disconnected from the conversation. So go sit in on as many meetings as possible. Go have as many conversations as possible. Go talk to other people that have been successful in the industry and, and learn what worked, what didn't work, what they focus on, and just be a sponge as much as you can. And, and then go and try, go and do, right? I was listening to um, uh, a, re, a, a, a recent podcast where Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, was the, um, uh, was the guest. And you know he was talking about Masters of Scale, which is his podcast that he does and just wrote a book on it. I'm talking about why companies you know, scale and learn uh, and, and win, basically. And I, I, I resonated with it because I think anybody in their profession can learn from it. And I'm not going to explain it perfectly, but he basically said, there's three things that you need to do. You got to do, you got to learn, then you got to think, and you got to keep doing that in that order. Just go do, go have a conversation with a friend, go try to sell them, let them understand. And you know what, whether you succeed or you don't, then take time to learn what worked, what didn't work? What did they resonate with? What did they not resonate with? And then take time to think. Too often, we all just think that we just need to be executing all the time. Take time to think about what worked and what you can try on the next one and then go do again and then do again. And don't be a perfectionist, which is one of my fallacies. Don't be a perfectionist. Just try it as long as you always have the right intention in mind of which is what's best for the client. You're not going to do wrong. You may fail but you'll learn, you'll think, and then you'll do it again. And I think that that's just so powerful um, for these individuals is, is be a sponge, be open to, to constructive criticism, be open to failing, and then take time to think about your next action by learning from your past. And remember that your past, you know, the past is not a predictor of the, it doesn't necessarily predict what is going to happen in the next step. And so just continue to take that next step. And all great advice. I'd say, I think every episode on here, it's, you got to learn from people who have done it. That Warren Buffett quote, it's best to learn from other people's mistakes. And I mean, definitely someone who's done it here. Yeah. I, I think that we, we all make mistakes, right? And, and I'm still making mistakes, a lot of them, and I'm still learning. I'm still thinking, right? And I'm still reading and I'm still, you know, I have a thirst for knowledge. I, I will never learn everything that I want to learn or I need to learn. Um, you know, I, I was, you know, spending some time reading a book before we got on this podcast because I wanted to divulge into learning something that I'm struggling with right now on my side. And I want to learn new ideas uh, so that I can go do and then learn and then think again. And uh, everybody's doing it all the time. Um, and we're in, an, in a world where we think that we just have to keep doing and uh, we need to start learning and thinking some as well. And, you know, jumping off of that to, my last line of questions relating to you know your journey into Benjamin entrepreneurship. Uh, how steep was a learning curve to get into fintech? Um, <laughs> steep, steep, and I was naive, but naivety sometimes is the best uh, the best um, thing to have when you go and start jumping off the deep end. You know, there's a lot that I learned. Just because you have a good idea doesn't mean it's going to work, um, and just because you have a good plan doesn't mean it's going to you know come to fruition. You know, I, I learned a lot from, you know, 
understanding technology and how it works together and where there's fallacies. But, you know, more importantly, I learned about people management. I learned about myself in terms of, you know, where my skills are. Um, entrepreneurship. And again, in that same podcast, and the reason I relate to it is I, I mean, I just is the most recent one is that with entrepreneurship, if you're, if you don't can't visualize yourself doing what you're about to do for 10 years, it's not going to be what you want to do because there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. And, um, you know, it is a steep learning curve that you not only learn about the product that you're trying to build, which is what you go into is not likely what it's going to be in five or 10 years, but you learn about yourself a ton. And if you're not open and willing to learn about yourself, that's where there's a big, steep learning curve, both about yourself, about technology, about selling, about marketing, about people management, about the whole kind of shebang. And I always say, I always, you know, there's, I never have regrets, but I always wish that I maybe I did business school, right. And got my MBA just because I have a thirst for learning. Um, and I like business school because I, I think it's cool relationship building opportunity and you get to do a fun travel and all that type of stuff. And the relationships you build are amazing. But if you don't get the opportunity to go to MBA and you want to just do something different, entrepreneurship is the best MBA that ever was and ever is and ever will be because you learn the most um, in a real life case study. And so um, it, it's a huge learning curve, but you got to go in with an open mind and be willing to accept the change. And if you don't, it's, you're just not going to be in it long. Again, just great advice. Learn by doing. Not much more to say on that. If you have, you know, and I think that, you know, if you have an idea, if you have a thought of something that you want to do, go test it, try it. There's lots of easy ways now with innovations that have happened where you can test it out on your own as a side hustle um, and see if it works, right? Put up a landing page, put up a you know, pay for a few ads, you know, build some mock-ups of it in Lucid Chart or in something like that and, and go and see what your friends think. And, um, you know, but don't take their advice as like the end all be all, but see if there's something there and then just continue to iterate on that. Again, do learn and think. Do learn from those people, think about them, what they said, and think about what your desired mission is and then go do again and then learn again. And you can do all that over a, over a night, a weekend, et cetera, even while you're working. So you don't have to take this leap of faith right out the gate. Absolutely amazing advice. And kind of just moving into our closing questions, uh, where can we find you online? Yeah, you can um, you can find me. I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, just Matt Reiner. Um, I'm active on Twitter, at uh, Matt Reiner. Um, you can also go and visit my website, mattreiner.com. I post a ton of content there. Um, we have started something for the wealth management industry specifically right now, but hopefully we will expand it over time, uh, called the inner circle. Um, but you can go and sign up for my newsletter, uh, YouTube channel, Matt Reiner as well, do a ton of videos. So, uh, those are kind of the mediums where I'm at and, uh, always happy to connect and talk and, and share some, uh, of my experiences, um, with anybody. And then final question of the day, what's next for Matt Reiner? <laughs> Um, about to go and uh, be with my son here for a little bit. That's the next thing for me immediate in the, in the future. Um, you know, I, I, I just want to make a positive stamp on the wealth management space. And, and Benjamin is, is the first step in that direction. MattReiner.com and my thought leadership is the, uh, is the second. And uh, my goal is to give back because this industry has given me so much. Uh, and I think that it's an opportunity for a ton of innovation 
Um, and I hope, I hope that I can open up minds uh, to think a little bit differently and be more open-minded about our industry and about innovation. And if we can do that over the next, you know, five, 10, 15 years, then, um, you know, it'll be a successful journey for all those that have been a part of it. I definitely hear you on that. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, Matt. Loved having you. Hey, thanks for having me. Loved being here and uh, talk soon. Best of luck with the podcast as well as you continue to grow it.